bit. One of the things I really miss by not living on site is the fact that I don't come to chapel that often. And uh, when I'm here, I always want to make sure I schedule my time so I'm here for chapel. Because this is an important time for us as a community. I guess it's a time when I just look around and see us as, as faculty and staff and students. Uh, and um, a time when we recognize that we're worshiping together and, um, and sort of see beyond the busyness of what we're doing uh, in our pursuits day by day. We often think about ways in which, I guess, the gospel is countercultural, the message of scripture is countercultural, and we think about the ways in which in this sort of consumeristic world that we live in, uh, the, the, the teachings of scripture uh, lead in quite a different direction. But today I want to think about being countercultural in a somewhat different way, because as I think about this passage in Proverbs chapter 3, I guess if I can put it this way, I think about my own culture, the life that I tend to construct for myself. And Proverbs 3, as I look at my own life, is countercultural to the way that I tend to want to live my life and the way I want to think and the way that I want to plan things. So I don't know about you, but I'd like you to think about whether these verses of Scripture might have something to say about the way that you're living your life and the way that you think about uh, your future. Thirty years ago... Uh, I was going to say when I was crazy, I guess I still am. 30 years ago, I was a full-time seminary student in Massachusetts while I was living in New Brunswick. I had two preschool children. My wife, Rosalie, had a half-time teaching job. We had two college students living in our basement to help pay the mortgage. Uh, I was half-time minister of outreach at the Woodstock Baptist Church. Uh, life was a little bit busy, but manageable, but manageable. Um, the associate pastor at the church resigned, and the church asked him if I'd work one extra day a week in addition to being half-time, whatever that meant, and I really needed the money, to be honest, so I said yes. And then the music director resigned, and the church wanted to know if I would be willing to direct the church choir and the youth choir and the instrumental ensemble, and you know, there was pay for that. And I said, yes. Um, life was now being lived on the edge. <laughs> Leaning over. But I was young. I had energy. And then John Bartol, the senior pastor, resigned to move to Nova Scotia. <laughs> and a month later, the church had called me as their new senior pastor. I was still doing my seminary studies. I had one full semester left, five courses to complete. Now, in each season of my ministry, and I'm thankful for this, in each season of my ministry, God has provided me with a, a passage of Scripture that has really provided me with a sense of hope and a sense of direction uh, for my life and for my ministry. And at that time in my young life, much younger than I am now life, I was feeling quite brilliant and quite capable, I think. Um, I had a lot of energy. I really did. Um, I was a good student. I thoroughly was enjoying my studies. Um, I was reading lots of books and articles and, and, you know, sort of debating in the hallways with other students and soaking in the knowledge. I had big plans for the church. I, I thought I was doing okay. And so at that pivotal time in my life and in my ministry, one Sunday evening, uh, churches had Sunday evening services regularly with a full sermon every week, 
And so one Sunday evening, I preached a sermon on Proverbs chapter 3. Now, I don't remember that I had chosen that particular passage for any strategic reason. It was probably a passage I thought would be easy to preach on in the midst of my busy life. I don't know. Um, what I didn't realize was the extent to which the sermon was going to be directed at me. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I don't think the sermon was to move to Nova Scotia. And a month later, the church had called me as their new senior pastor. I was still doing my seminary studies. I had one full semester left, five courses to complete. Now, in each season of my ministry, and I'm thankful for this, in each season of my ministry, God has provided me with a, a passage of Scripture that has really provided me with a sense of hope and a sense of direction uh, for my life and for my ministry. And at that time in my young life, much younger than I am now life, I was feeling quite brilliant and quite capable, I think. Um, I had a lot of energy. I really did. Um, I was a good student. I thoroughly was enjoying my studies. Um, I was reading lots of books and articles and, and, you know, sort of debating in the hallways with other students and soaking in the knowledge. I had big plans for the church. I, I thought I was doing okay. And so at that pivotal time in my life and in my ministry, one Sunday evening, uh, churches had Sunday evening services regularly with a full sermon every week. And so one Sunday evening, I preached a sermon on Proverbs chapter 3. Now, I don't remember that I had chosen that particular passage for any strategic reason. It was probably a passage I thought would be easy to preach on in the midst of my busy life. I don't know. Um, what I didn't realize was the extent to which the sermon was going to be directed at me. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you'll win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I don't think the sermon was anything special. I don't have a copy of it, although I know I would have saved it on the floppy disk on my, <laughs> on my Tandy 1000 with 640K. <laughs> but God used that passage of Scripture and the congregation who heard it to teach me to trust God more deeply than I had before. So I preached the sermon. I'm sure I was careful to apply the exegetical and homiletic principles that I had recently been learning in seminary. I probably thought it was a good sermon, skillfully delivered. But somehow God intervened to make sure that I heard that sermon in a way that I had not intended when I preached it. Several people talked with me in the week afterward about what a profound message they had heard about not relying on ourselves, on our own knowledge and skills, and trusting God instead. 
it seemed that I was continually being reminded of that sermon and of that passage of scripture. Um, the chair of the board of deacons, in his annual report when he gave it, referred to that sermon as setting the theme for the whole church for the coming year. To trust God instead of relying on our own human resources. And after that, other people began referring to that scripture passage as our church's theme for the year. I had not intended any of that. But it had an effect on me. If everyone thought it was our theme verse for the year, I thought I'd better think about it a bit. <laughs> so I started reading Proverbs 3 with different eyes. I was reading it not with preparing a sermon eyes. Do you know what I mean? I was preparing with 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 different eyes. I was not trying to be an, old, an excellent Old Testament scholar as I wrote a term paper. I was not trying to be a skilled homiletician. I was not even trying to be a good pastor. I wanted to see what it said to me when I heard what it had been saying to other people. What was it saying to me? And so I read that passage, devotionally I suppose, thoughtfully, asking what I needed to learn from these verses that were having such an effect on others, and it began to change my attitude. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What if my reputation, my witness, both inside and outside the church, is not based on how skillfully or how capably I carry out my responsibilities, and of course it isn't. But instead it's based on things like love and faithfulness, based on my character, the extent to which the fruit of the Spirit is exhibited in my life and in my relationships and in my ambitions. In other words, my reputation, my witness, the way other people see me, will be a product of my dependence on God's spirit to change me from within, not on my ability to live by my skills. Now that may seem very obvious to everyone in this room, but at that time in my life, when I was studying hard and working hard, I needed so much to hear that message. And it's a message I've needed to remember throughout my ministry. I love being a scholar. I love reading. I love I loved my job as a pastor. But being a scholar is not my primary calling, and I don't believe it's the primary calling of any Christian scholar either. Being a pastor is so much more than a job. So much more than what we do. So much more about who we are, and especially who we are in relationship with God. I love studying the scriptures and having a sense of confidence that I understood God's word, but I realized I needed to apply it to my life. That the application of the scriptures to my own life is actually the most important part of sermon preparation. My calling. And I believe based on Acts chapter 26, it's every Christian's calling. My calling is to be a servant and a witness. To be some. Not, it's not, I mean, yes, I need to do things. But it starts with who I am. 
I'm, a, I'm called to be a servant and a witness, to be someone through whom, by his power, God works to accomplish his mission, his way. I had to ask myself what it means to trust in the Lord with all my heart. Unfortunately, I think, and you may be able to identify with this, unfortunately, I had memorized that verse at a very early age so well that although I knew it by heart, it had little practical meaning for me when I read it. It was just that verse that I knew. <coughs> I knew that Christians should have faith, and I had faith. So that was that. But I began to realize that trusting the Lord with all my heart would require change for me. Like most, most Christians, I think I was really trusting myself in most areas of life and ministry. As a pastor, I certainly had faith in God. But I was really trusting my ministry abilities, my relational skills, my well-crafted plans. It is good to develop good skills and abilities. We try to help you do just that here at ADC. But that should never replace our trust in God. The most expertly crafted sermon will not accomplish what God wants unless his power is in it. Um, I sort of learned that in reverse. I remember as a student pastor, I, I was uh, on the Miramichi. And again, these days, nobody understands anymore, I know. But in those days, there were four churches on the field. Okay? So, 9.45, Blissfield. 11.15, Doketown. 2 o'clock, Carroll's Crossing. 7 p.m., Ludlow. Four services every Sunday. And at that young stage in my life as a student... Uh, for me to get one sermon together in a week was a miracle. I, as I started working on Monday, and Saturday night I was usually sick to my stomach as I was thinking, I've got to get this done by tomorrow morning. And so, 9.45, it started and went through the day. And I mean, there, there, were, there were, let's say just, there were highs and lows in that experience. Um, but I've always remembered one particular low that was, I think, the lowest. And that was when, in Blissfield, I'm preaching the sermon that has taken me all week to put together, and I know it's a dud, okay? Like, you, you, you're, you're partway through, and you can tell. It, there's no eye contact, you know? Yeah, people are, are being gracious and kind, but uh, you, you just know. And in your mind, you think... I have to preach this three more times. Okay? Yeah, because this took me a week. This, this trade wreck took me a week to construct. And I don't have time between now and 11.15 to do anything that's going to fix this. Okay? So, you know, it, it is the humility moment. So you, you go to the next service, and you, you know it's going to be bad, and it is bad. Okay? And then you have lunch, and you go to the next service, and it's bad. But, I mean, I had, I had no skill to, to... Anyway, so the last... I'm at the, the 7 o'clock, and I'm just thinking it's almost over. <laughs> and, and people were... Again, people are gracious, these, these little country churches. They're very gracious. 
and at the end of the service, me people are falling out of the shake hands. Nobody's saying good past, you know, good servant pastor, but they're being nice. And this one really church leader uh, comes to me to shake my hand, and as she ha- shakes my hand, she bursts into tears and says, "If you can preach a sermon like that, don't ever think that God hasn't called you into the ministry." And I'm thinking. She heard a sermon that I didn't preach. (laughs) And I really think she did. That through that scripture from which I was trying to raise up a sermon, she heard a message from God that said to me, this isn't about my human ability. It's not that I shouldn't do my best but it's not about my human ability, it's how God is going to work. Now, I don't think God wants us to preach bad sermons every week that he might work through that to our surprise. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But it reminded me, and it's been a reminder to me through the years, that if my sermon is just me, no matter how good it is, it's not what God wants it to be. And that's true of my life. If my service, if my leadership, if my teaching is just me, it's not what God wants it to be. In some ways, even harder than is the next part of the verse. Lean not on your own understanding. That's a call to humility, isn't it? And such humility doesn't often come easily, especially when we think we're right. And I often think I'm right. I think I know I'm right. When the Bible says don't lean on your own understanding, we're not being commanded to put our brain in neutral. Instead, we're being reminded of the limitations of our own understanding from our very limited perspective in time and space. We think we understand when we don't see the entire picture like God does. In all your ways, acknowledge him. There are certain areas of our lives that we find relatively easy to trust to the Lord, I think. Maybe we trust our families to the Lord because we care about them and And especially when things are going well, that's an easy thing for us to do. Um, We trust our physical needs to the Lord when we have a good income and good health. Can we acknowledge God when times are challenging, and, and especially when we don't feel in control? In ministry, you need to be prepared for times when you're not in control. And yet, you'll still be confident in God. Those are the times when it's important to remember that God is still directing our paths. I made those verses of Scripture my sort of theme verse for my ministry in Woodstock because I recognized I needed to read those verses regularly. I needed to examine my life regularly so that I would be diligent to trust God deeply in every area of my life. For me, I realized that too often I looked at Scripture through scholarly eyes. 
as I read commentaries, good commentaries, and considered the historical and theological context as I needed to. Or sometimes I had read scriptures as the preacher. How can I communicate the message of scripture with appropriate application to the people in my congregation? And those things are important too. But as I read scripture, as we read scripture, we need to diligently consider how it applies to our own lives. How God is seeking to guide us, to, how, how God seeks to challenge us and teach us and make us more Christ-like in our character. How God is calling us to trust him more deeply. So I wish I could say, so I learned that lesson 30 years ago and moved on. Um, and I'm sure there are lots of other lessons I still need to learn, but I continue to need to be reminded of my need to trust in the Lord with all my heart. To lean not on my own understanding. I've learned a lot over the years. Through study, through experience. But I know that my knowledge is minuscule compared to the one who is the all-knowing, all-wise God. So I hope that I've grown in my Christian character through the years. But I know that I continue to need the Holy Spirit's ministry of sanctification in my life in order for me to be the minister and the witness that God calls me to be every day. I know that as clear as my plans might seem to be, I need to let God direct me, even when I think I know what is best. So in the midst of your studies, in the midst of your ministry to others, please allow the scriptures to speak to your life, to challenge you, to encourage you, to guide you, to remind you to trust God deeply. Can I pray for you? Almighty God, thank you for your grace toward us, for the many ways in which you teach us that we might learn to trust you and to allow you to work in us that we might be the people you call us to be. Thank you that we can trust you because you are a faithful God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.